You take two rabbits, two elephants, if they're male and female, in 36 months, you'll have three elephants because it takes 36 months to gestation period. Or we'll have like, what, 400 million rabbits? I mean, every six weeks, once a rabbit's mature, you can have a litter of six to 12 rabbits. So the difference is you've got rabbit versus elephant. And so fundamentally, Jesus launched a rabbit culture. He trained and discipled people into multiplying kingdom movements so quickly. And But rabbits are simple. Rabbits can squeeze through a small gap in your fence. I mean, they can just morph into all kinds of places. Elephants will just knock over your fence. So elephants are clumsy, they're large, they're beautiful beasts, they're, but they're very complex and they reproduce very slowly. And so the American church has, has embraced an elephant culture. Now, elephants aren't always huge. You can have a little small elephants. I mean, there's there are churches in, in America that are 30 people, 25 people, and they're very small, but they have elephant DNA. They reproduce slowly. They're very expensive to operate. It takes lots of buildings and full-time staff members. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Cesar Kalinowski. Happy New Year. It's hard to believe we're already here. The holidays have flown by, and I hope you experience grace and love and a closeness that being with family and friends in light of the gospel brings. We have, in fact, as I'm recording this little piece of the podcast right now, we're just wrapping things up. I, I, I know it's like the 12 days of Christmas. And I know this about you, though. You're already looking forward to the new year. Either you're ready to be done with last year, you've finished and ready to move on, and or you're excited about what our Lord will do in and through your life and ministry this year. I hope that's the case. I hope you really are excited. Maybe it's both. I don't know. Is this the year that you'll grab a hold of your Christian birthright in a deeper way, really start to make discipleship and mission the center of your life? And if you're a pastor or leader in your church, are you ready to take discipleship and missional living to the next level next year? I hope so. You get to. We all get to. Now, we have a whole batch of new episodes of the Everyday Disciple podcast planned for you that will continue to show you how the good news of the gospel and our Christian faith can naturally and confidently be woven into any and every area of life, okay? So if you're wanting to explore getting some help setting up a full disciple-making framework and you want to grow in your gospel fluency, let's connect. Let's get connected. I'm going to give you a link here in a second. All you have to do is go to that link. I'll ask you a few questions. I'll tell you a little bit more about the coaching. Hit send, send me that information, see if this is a good fit. Then I can send you back a whole bunch of stuff and and a training video that unpacks our entire Everyday Disciple framework for you. And we'll see if this is a good fit. And maybe we can start to journey together with some coaching. So if you're interested at all, this is your year. It's time to quit kicking the ball down the field. And go ahead and check that out. Send me a little bit of info. And I'll get right back to you. Go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. That's everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. Now, today I want to share a discussion that I just had a couple days ago with Dan Greider. Now, Dan is the founding architect of Ignite, which is a vibrant network of churches that reproduce leaders, 
who are leading transformational communities. Yeah, and they really are. He began his work of church multiplication, church planning, all the way back in the late 80s. So like me, he's kind of getting on in years. Uh, We've been doing this a while. And in 1990, he planted a church in Southern California that grew to over 1,500 in attendance. And it launched, this is the more important part, it launched nine church plants and campuses over the next 17 years. Then he went on to reposition a church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, to be a reproducing and disciple-making movement. Dan is packed with experience and knowledge. I know you're going to love that. Here we go. All right, Dan, thank you for being with me, brother. I'm so excited for this conversation. I feel like in some ways you're uh, um, definitely a brother from another mother, uh, an old soul. And when we found each other, it wasn't that long ago. And we've just kind of had this little micro bromance started. (laughs) We're we're having a blast discussing discipleship and the kingdom and gospel and all that. And uh, so it didn't take us very long, maybe a month to say, I have to get you on the Everyday Disciple podcast. So thanks so much. Oh, it's great to be with you guys, man. I just have appreciated you, Caesar. Thank you for all you're doing for the kingdom. And uh, man, we were out in the, out in the Pacific North, Northwest and just missed each other and uh, living out there at different times. And uh, yeah, so but uh, love what you guys are doing. Thank we've you got so a much. whole lot of relational near misses, too. We're finding we out all the people we've known over 20 years, maybe. You're like, you're kidding me. <laughs> that's you do that, you do that, you put that. Yeah, yeah that's exactly that's, right. That's yeah. Tough. Well, we're going to get into some pretty cool deep waters here today. Uh, some some of the ways you articulate uh, kingdom and leadership and the way we lead churches and how it affects mm-hmm. our ecclesia and most importantly, how it feeds into or doesn't feed into disciple making. It's going to be really a refreshing conversation. Just to give our listeners a bit of a context for who Dan Greider is, uh, just tell us a little bit of your story, kind of how you got involved in ministry and like kind of how that went and what you're up to these days. Yeah, well, I you know, I was a radio DJ. I was, uh, I, I, I was in radio and TV, and there was this TV show that came out years ago called WKRP in Cincinnati. There was this guy named Johnny Fever. And so Johnny Fever was our morning drive jock at our station. He came from WKRC and Society, the real guy. And uh, I was just praying, Jesus, I'd love to make disciples. And he came in with a revolver and a fist of whiskey. And he said, I'm going to do the deed tonight. And you're going to clean up the mess. And it's like, Jesus, I didn't want revolvers and fists of whiskey. I just want to make disciples. And you know, I led him to Christ and started discipling him. And and we started we started this church and this radio station. And I didn't you and know Johnny Fever. To- yeah, well, yeah, the the real guy has uh, yeah. yeah Howard Hessman's the actor, but he was <laughs> right. he was the character Johnny Beaver, right? And wow. uh, this is a station just south of Cincinnati. And uh, anyway, so I just was, uh, and that was one of the TV shows on TV. But it was just it was just one of those things of making disciples. I didn't even know how to make disciples. I was a I came out, I didn't come out of the church. I was I just kind of came to Christ and didn't know anything about what I was doing. And uh, and so they told me you got to go get a graduate degree. So I've got a master's, a doctorate degree, and figured out I was making disciples at the radio station before I ever really, you know, got all this education. So I had to do something I call detox, and that was I had to really unlearn a lot of the things I learned. I'm grateful for what I learned, but Jesus, you know, He started a whole movement without the the things that we do, right? And, and they it reproduces so fluidly and so easily, and it's just like why is it so simple in the New Testament? And why is it so difficult for me and so many of the other people that grew up in the American church context? I'm not being critical of the American church, but it's like, we're not following Jesus the way Jesus did what he did. I think we're following him in theology and in spirit. And we're 
you know, people are being saved and lives are transformed. So that certainly happens. But we're not following his multiplication path. And that that has some serious consequences to the American church. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sure. So you you did a stint uh, pastoring, church planting, right? All that stuff. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, you know, we were back in that area, you know, where, where Cincinnati is, which, uh, and we saw so many unchurched people when we lived in Oregon and Washington and Northern California. So we started planting churches on the West Coast because they were just such unchurched areas. We just went there because yeah. there was just so much need. And it was really fun because the Holy Spirit was moving and this, it was alive. Uh, coming, he was coming alive in so many people's lives. And so we started planting churches. We worked uh, with, um, you know, like a lot of people did, with kind of the attractional church, the, you know, the the church that was, you know, what we call church that sucks less. Yeah. You know, if, if you can sit <laughs> there and all the other churches, people say, hey, I'm your church sucks less. I'm coming to your church. But that was when we had Christian memory, right? And so even lost people, secular people, would actually think of, of looking to Jesus in the church when their lives collapsed. We're not in, we're, we have no Christian memory. We're, that was, you know, that's ancient history. That was like in the 1990s, for crying out loud. Yeah. And the world's changed so significantly. So we're post-Christian memory. So we just can't do what we did in the past. And and unfortunately, sometimes the American church is still doing what, they're, they're trying to recreate the 90s and the 2000s, and they're gone. They're just yeah. gone. The it's 2010s are gone. I mean, yeah, it's interesting because everybody would say yes and amen to that. And yet come this next Sunday, they'll be doing the same stuff again they did for Christmas and, you know, and then getting ready for Easter exactly yeah. the same way as 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> and so what we talk about in our trainings is we say, you know, the three things the New Testament church had, you can tell me anything, anything they had besides these three things, let me know. They, they had had an encounter with the Holy Spirit through the power and the person of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Two, they learned how to talk about that first thing, and then they built transformed communities of the first two things. I said, if you can think of anything they really had, because the, the New Testament church in the early days, the first 300 years, they didn't have a Bible, they didn't have buildings, they didn't have church services, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't do sermons the way they, they have so much of what we do, they didn't do. So I say to the average pastor, if you only had those three things the New Testament church had, what would how would you function on Sunday? And most of them, most of us pastors wouldn't even know what to do. I mean, we wouldn't even know how to start. Because, and I'm grateful that we have what we have, but at the, and we, we use this illustration that says, you know, a master chess player, a, a master a chess uh, will, will train a prodigy by removing the queen off the board and make them learn to use all the other players because the queen is the most versatile player, but she's not the most important. The king is the most important. And, and the queen, a bad chess player will overuse the queen. They'll use the queen for everything. If you remove the queen, they've got to learn to use the entire chessboard. Mm. And so Jesus didn't give us the Sunday morning service. He, I mean, it's wonderful to have a Sunday morning service, but yeah. you can learn to do all the things that the kingdom does and Jesus does in the kingdom without the Sunday morning service. You'll have a, a robust, uh, unstoppable movement, which Jesus started. And but you ask most average American pastors, how do you do discipleship? How do you teach tithing? How do you train people? How do you do fellowship? How do you do whatever you do? It, and they almost always say, well, Sunday morning, it revolves around Sunday morning and Sunday morning. It's because it's the queen. It's the most versatile player on the board, but it's not the most important. And so Jesus didn't give us a queen. He taught us the whole chessboard 
without the queen. And I'm grateful we have the queen. Don't get me wrong. I love church services, but it, it's a whole different way of thinking when you go yeah. back to, which the Holy Spirit kind of led me to rethink a lot of this process. So how, how did you, Coast. how and when did you kind of make the shift from, hey, we're seeing people come to faith. So I guess we're starting church services or planting churches by planting church services. Um, and when did that flip for you to, to realize like, Praise God, we get to gather and we get to do all those things. But that wasn't never meant to be the goal. <laughs> it's like, hey, I, I met a neighbor, or I met a friend at the gym or whatever. How fast can I get him to that thing or somebody's that thing? Yeah. Um, when did that shift for you? It's a good question. Yeah, you know, I think maybe about, I, I don't know for sure exactly where it shifted for you, but we were all kind of in that same zone, right? Where where as long as it was working, we were doing the church Sunday services the way we were doing them. And I'm just seeing the diminishing qualities during kind of the postmodern early days of the uh, emergent movement. And I started really rethinking, we've got to, you know, somehow what we're doing is not working the way it worked earlier. You know? And you and I are similar age and, and similar generation. And you, we remember when it was working, and we remember also what, where we were, what we were doing when we began to realize it's not working the same way. And uh, if, 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 if we don't really pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing, I think we're going to keep propagating a model and being embracing a model and not embracing Jesus and what the Holy Spirit's saying. And so Jesus yeah. says to the seven letters to the seven churches, uh, you, we need to hear what the Spirit says to the church, the Spirit's speaking. And I think I just really sensed the Spirit was saying something that I had to pay attention to. Yeah. And I think for me as well, Dan, uh, it, it, it was at the same time as going, hey, this isn't working the way it used to type of thing. I was pastoring in a mega church and it was just up and to the right on the grass, you know, like everything was growing right. that and those metrics. But at that same time where I realized, but none of my un, you know, church people, un Jesus people are that right. super into this. It's not that good a show, <laughs> you know, right. have you ever right. been to a U2 concert? And the other thing is the metrics <laughs> started to change for me. And I started to realize that, um, is what we used to do, it's not working. Well, when it was working, was it making disciples though? Because that's, right. and was right. it building out communities that affected exactly. all the community around them? And that's the thing that began to eat at my heart and yes. and and maybe soul even, and my wife's as well. We're like, we love what we're getting to do. And we're loving that people are coming to know Jesus through it. However, we don't see them integrating that into a lifestyle of this and therefore, and then becoming disciple makers themselves we're, we're at best, we're getting them their afterlife upgrade and, you know, their get out of hell card and turning them into consumers. That seems like that's when it's really working. And I was like, that can't be what Jesus died for. That can't be the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's funny. The word that Jesus used for when he talked about heaven was the word aronos, which means that it, it, you drop out of sight. And so, it, it, but he almost always attached it to the kingdom of God or, or the, you know, he always talked about, it's, he's focusing on the kingdom more than, than the word Aronos or heaven. And, and so we've taken the word, we've, we've lost the kingdom part of it. And we've focused on the word heaven or Aronos. And, and it's just what has happened is by making that fatal switch, uh, we, it's, it's created a whole culture that you talk about beautifully. And I think that's one that I really love about what you talk about is, is helping people really rethink what are our metrics? And Jesus talked over and over again, you'll know them by their fruit. You know mm. that so a lot of people are are saved and sanctified. This that's the church language we'd use, right? Yeah. They, they they know Jesus, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're not reproducing. 
they're hardworking. Those church people are going to heaven. I mean, they know Jesus. They're they're being, you know, they're they're maturing in Christ. Those are all wonderful things. Those are great well, things. L- long as we're talking about reproduction, uh, I really, and this is kind of uh, the reason I wanted to have you join me today is I, you used a term in a conversation that we had recently, uh, and you're like the king of analogy, by the way. I just a metaphor here. I thought I was, man. I'm sitting at the feet here today. This is amazing. But you use a term about they're, they're different, and, and if I bungle this, then that's why you're here, to clarify all this. You talked about some churches are rabbit colonies, but other churches are Trojan elephants. And i like, what the heck, you know? <laughs> but once you got into it, once you got into it, I was like, oh, I want everybody I know who's a believer or, let's say, a leader, at least, in a church setting, I want them to understand this concept and the differences. So, so tell sure. us a little bit about being a rabbit colony, and that's a multiplicational thing right away. People probably seen that. Or Trojan elephants? Okay, tell us about that. Well, actually, the, this comes from uh, George Barna term. So, I, so I'm borrowing this, uh, the, 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 at least the original illustration. So it, Barna says uh, in, his, in, in the book he wrote that you take two rabbits, two elephants, if they're male and female, in 36 months you'll have three elephants because it takes 36 months to gestation period. Or you'll have like, what, 400 million rabbits? I mean, every six weeks, once a rabbit's mature, you can have a litter of six to 12 rabbits. And those rabbits, after after you know a handful of weeks, they, every six weeks they have another litter. So the difference is you've got rabbit versus elephant. And so fundamentally, Jesus lost a rabbit culture. He trained and discipled people into multiplying kingdom movements so quickly. And but rabbits are simple. Rabbits can squeeze through a small gap in your fence. I mean, they can just morph into all kinds of places. Elephants will just knock over your fence. So elephants are clumsy, they're large, they're beautiful beasts, they're, but they're very complex and they reproduce very slowly. And so the American church has, has embraced an elephant culture. Now, elephants aren't always huge. You can have a little small elephants. I mean, there's there are churches in, in America that are 30 people, 25 people, and they're very small, but they have elephant DNA. They reproduce slowly. They're very expensive to operate. It takes lots of buildings and full-time staff members for those 20 people, those 30 people. We do know churches that they yeah. have a budget of $150,000 for 20 people, right? And Crazy. Uh, but but rabbits, though, reproduce so fluidly. And so and it's every part of the cells of a rabbit is to reproduce. Uh, and, and, and that's why we use illustration kind of to parallels the starfish. The starfish does the same thing. But so what we say is, but if you can think of it this way, if you've got, um, in America, there's a lot of places where they still want to have a Sunday morning church service. People say, what time does your church meet? When does your church meet? And so what we say, we create, we say, we don't do elephant DNA, we do rabbit DNA. But for some of our churches, we say, we need to put on the elephant suit. And 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 people come and they say, to some our, well, and we call them Trojan elephants. So it's like, it looks like an elephant, smells like an elephant, but when you unzip it, out come rabbits. And so <laughs> people come to our Trojan Elephant Church and they say, I came from a church just like yours. You know, you guys sing Echo, we sing Echo. You sing Oceans, we sing Oceans. They say, well, you know, you're comparing a worship service. And they say, well, where's all your programs? Where's your men's ministry, your women's ministry? What we say is, well, actually, we don't have any of that. All we are is a rabbit DNA culture that still has a Sunday morning service and we still have a building. And and that's a different way of thinking and operating, but it's a it's a genetic DNA change. It's yeah. it's actually the DNA is the complexity. It's not how you do the service. It's 
can you change over to rabbit DNA, which re reproduces so quickly, and it's a different kind of animal versus an elephant, which is a very slow reproducing. And that's, I think, one of the challenges the American church is dealing with, because a lot of American churches have elephant DNA regardless of their size. I've seen, I've, I've seen uh, organic missional communities that meet in a microbrewery and they're smoking cigars and they're, they're, they're talking about Jesus, but they still have a, a much more of an elephant DNA than they really realize. Yeah. They're looking, they're hoping to, you know, to open a microbrewery, open a coffee shop, and they're wanting to, which is good, it's good, but they're still thinking much more, even that small organic group, uh, they're still thinking in, in elephant ways, if that makes sense, versus yeah. rabbit ways. Yeah, it really is. What, boy, oh boy, I hope everybody's catching that. And that, that, that I can't get that visual out of my head, the Trojan elephant. So it's like, hey, come to our Sunday gathering. We've, we've got that. We love to be together. But really, if you unzip the suit, it's like, but we're, we're producing rabbits here. We're making disciples on the inside. That's who we are. How will you know, like, if you see a church and they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's us. We're the second one. We're the Trojan one. What are great? What are some of the sort of telltale signs of elephant DNA versus a rabbit colony or a Trojan elephant? What are some of the telltale signs? Well, the, the DNA answer is DNA produces, it's perfectly designed to produce what it is, right? So a rab, so, so rabbit DNA does multiplication. They're decentralized. They're organic in their thinking. They, they think that they just operate completely differently. Where elephant DNA thinks very slowly, that's what I'm saying. I've seen guys open microbreweries and coffee shops and still say, well, you know, we're going to invite everybody to our coffee shop. We're going to invite everybody to our microbrewery and we're going to have a service on Sunday and we're going to do these kind of things. And I say, mm -hmm. well, all you did was you just, you, know, you you're still thinking in elephant ways. It's a good step. It's a sucks less. Step. Sucks less. Sucks less. Right. And and we say <laughs> to the church that sucks less is, you know, people come and say, hey, you know, I, I, I've left my church. I'm going to your church. Your church sucks less. Your worship sucks less. Your church ministry. And so, yeah. So now the microbrewery just sucks less. So the coffee shop sucks less. And and well, we're going out and we're we're caring for people in the community, and that's that's great. All those are really good things. But yeah. fundamentally, DNA, you, you can't hide DNA. You can't. And doing a DNA change is more difficult. We call it detox. It's it's more difficult than people think on the front end. They think we're just gonna we're gonna change our form and our name and our approach, but we're gonna do the same thing with a kind of a different you know coat of paint on it. And and that's it, it it dies very, very slowly. And mm. yeah. What type of uh changes would a leader who's listening to this and or has been listening to you or being trained by you? What what types of things is a leader who says, you know what, you're I'm being convicted here. We definitely have the elephant DNA so so far, but we want to become a rabbit colony. We want to make disciples who make disciples. I think if people are listening to this podcast, that's probably the case for many. Um or maybe I'm working or attending a church that's like based on that description, that's elephant DNA. Um, what types of shifts are they going to have to start as leaders, pastors, leaders, elders? What what are they? What kind of shifts are they going to have to start making to actually? Because how do you change DNA? And can you? You know, like that's a great question. Well, here's what you do: you probably can't change the people you already have. That's the problem. Because if, if, if wherever DNA they are, they're kind of set. If they can relearn 
how to reach the next kind of so they so what we say is they're going to be limited in what they can do like just like right now there may be people listening to this who are elephant dna through and through in what they do but they have such a heart for rabbits they they see they read the new testament they've read the book of acts they've been on a missions trip the holy spirit done something in them and they realize i don't know how far i can go but what i can do is i can take I can take what I've got and my DNA and I can begin to reach rabbits and start a rabbit movement, even if I'll never really be a rabbit myself. Mm. I can, I and, and there's there's that transitional, that's a missionary transition. So Paul, the apostle, was the elephant DNA through and through. The entire Jewish culture was elephant DNA through and through. Very slow, very methodical. You had to have the temple, you had to have temple Under the temple, come and see, yeah. But Paul was an elephant guy. He even, even gives us pedigree. You know, circumcised on the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, right? That's all elephant. He said, I'm an elephant dude through and through. But Paul started rabbit movements around the world, even though he still remained and he still was able to use his elephant DNA when he got into jams. But he was he himself was a missionary to the rabbits. We would call them the Gentiles, right? And so he he goes out and he starts these rabbit colonies. And people think Paul was a rabbit dude. He was an elephant dude who was a missionary into the rabbits. And we wouldn't know the gospel had it not been for that that DNA change that he himself yeah. didn't fundamentally change. He didn't uncircumcise himself. I don't know how you do that. He didn't un-Jewish himself. He he just he became a minister to to the multiplying communities, and that's why the church is the church. So the key is, you've got to be a missionary into that group that you don't naturally move to, and that may, that and it's only people who have that mission, that apostolic missional perspective. So that's what we say. We say we want to train you and your leaders, or we you know just like you're doing. You're doing the same thing. You're training them and their leaders. And you're saying, but really, we really want you to start doing something that is incredibly uncomfortable for you. You guys talk about that all the time. That's that's what you're trying to get them to do, right? Yeah. But that's but that is that is a more complex thing than sometimes we think on the front end. And some people simply aren't willing to pay the price. They what yeah. they're doing is they're pragmatically seeing the culture change, and they're seeing the writing on the wall, preferably speaking. But but they. But they're not sure if they really want to pay the price to do that. And so a lot of them just they try this for a while and they go right back into their elephant churches. And they now a Trojan elephant church is, is a complex thing. And I don't know that the season for Trojan elephants will last very long because what we tell a lot of our is that you can't be reproducing elephant DNA if you're a Trojan elephant church. It's rabbit DNA. Yeah. But you're you're gonna have to burn the elephant suit when the culture says the elephant is done the way we've done church. The now, elephant in the room will have to be dealt yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. But well, you know, the church and, always meets and the church always worships. Yeah. And so that, we're not talking about worship and we're not talking about meeting. That's right. not what we're, we're not. We're, we're talking about how the American elephant culture is very different from, from just the, the what we would call the worshiping community thing. Yeah. yeah. It's different. And, and I, and I think maybe we're, you're saying maybe this is going to go away pretty soon here. I think we might be seeing a, a, a newer wave of micro elephant churches with the whole micro movement, you know, micro church movement and all that. Because unfortunately, I mean, I love that we're starting to scatter, okay, the body out yeah. there and, and, and the priesthood's getting more and more roles in that. But a lot of what, and we've talked about this, you and I, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, 
some of these quote unquote micro churches are really just small elephants and they will reproduce slowly. And they're, they're actually trying to do a small reproduction of the bigger mama elephant. And in fact, um, let me show you a video uh, where mama elephants uh, got some people talking and singing songs. And we'll do that over here in our small elephants, you know, and I'm, I'm interested in how you take those and help them get some DNA shift. I know that's, you know, man, biologically, that seems impossible, but there, but that's where my heart is. I want to see big and small elephants be able to say, Hey, I want that though. Am I just doomed? (laughs) You know? And, and I want to be careful to not accidentally always paint even the smaller missional type of discipleship focused things uh, with my old, you know, elephant paintbrushes. You know, cause I, cause I can, even as you talk about it, I, I can, I can just picture little things, man, that that even in our coolest, earliest days of breaking all the molds, I go, yeah, that was still pretty elephant. (laughs) It was pretty (laughs) elephant-y. It was. And I love that about you, Cesar. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think you nailed it as well as I've ever heard anybody nail it. What you just said is that this microchurch movement is the best indicator of how you get little miniature elephants, little, you know, uh, they're, they're just little small versions, you know, and... And what happens is they function in every way. They reproduce slowly, but just because they're small doesn't make them, you know, a rabbit. Uh, and right. so, yeah, they're bonsai elephants, right? <laughs> so they think if we could multiply the elephants quicker, that's the mission. And you're like, no, it's multiplying disciples who know how to make disciples is the mission. And, the mission. and they go, yeah, 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 I know. And so this is how we're doing it. I'm like, yeah, but now I have new language to say, maybe not quite just yet. Now, I'm guessing that leading in... Uh, new ways or trying, especially trying to lead from an elephant sort of culture to a, you know, rabbit, you know, colony and multiplication like that truly with a discipleship focus takes a different type of leadership and leading and maybe therefore leader. Now, I I don't think, Hey, I'll just say this up front. Maybe we don't agree on this. I don't think everybody's a leader in the same way. I think anybody can't lead things. But oh, everybody's a leader. Mm, not in the same ways, you know. We have Apest, and that gives us some indications. Right. But, exactly. but I know in my own self, in my own life, I have learned to lead in different yes. ways and in diff- with different focuses and with different gentlenesses and different areas where I'm less gentle because I'm more passionate about and all that. So, how? What? Let's talk a little about. You use the term directional leadership versus yes. discipling leaders, you know, and leaders right. who are discipling leaders. So. I'm guessing there's some changes that have to start to take place to make that shift. Right. That's so well said. I think you've, you've really assessed this really well. And I think you're doing this. And this is, this is, I think this is our passionate shared heart right here. Right. <laughs> so I, I created a Jahari window in the book Starfish Movement and, and the Jahari window is, you know, so you've got directional leadership going vertically and you have disciple leadership going horizontally. If you have neither one, you you're in the in the left hand bottom corner, and that's in the Jahari one. If you can visually, pick the, we call that a tombstone church. Yeah, tombstone I'm gonna say leader. like for those watching, like this is it in the book. Let me see if I can get close enough. Yeah, to that exactly. Yeah, I can boss it. that. Take a little and look. See, see see the very bottom, the art, the rest in tombstone, the the rip, the tombstone there. That's a non-directional, non-discipling leader, and because of that, that person. We know what that is. That's the American church that's dying. But then if you go north, if you go up and you follow the directional path, but not the discipling path, 
you get what we call a directional leader. And and you and I both worked with one directional leader that we share in common. And that person could be the CEO of a of a corporation. That person mm-hmm. is a great leader, right? Yeah. He, he was a directional leader and he didn't have any discipling, uh, really reproducing multiplication. Now, he would say he had discipleship. And this is one of the things we, we tend to talk about the term disciple making is what Jesus called us to do. And there's something that the American church does that is an institutional approach. And, and he was doing those institutional things. He was doing small groups. He, they were having, you know, sanctification process. People were tithing, they were serving. And a lot of times we call that discipleship. He was doing that, but he really wasn't multiplying and reproducing disciples. They wanted that, that, that hardworking person, but they, but they, that's what the directional leader does. And we call that the uh, anthill. So when I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, they have these things called fire ants. When I moved to the to the East Coast, coastal Carolina, and uh, they'll, when they, they land on you, they bite you. They your appendage swells exactly up. Exactly that. Yeah. The anthill. And and the anthill, a, 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 a queen ant will produce fifty thousand drone ants every month. And if you put your foot through that anthill, they'll immediately go back to rebuild it. And, and and so I, 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 I chased all the, 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 the fire ants out of my yard and I looked at these anthills when they were abandoned and they consisted of the bodies of dead ants hmm. and sand molecules that they gathered. So in the directional leader, what they do is they say to ants, go out there and get as many other ants as you can. We're going to make as many ants as we can and get, and get fake ants, get sand molecules. But then how many people have died in the anthill of the American church, given their whole life and their energy I love this this quote that Gordon Gecko says in the movie uh, Wall Street. He says, "People get so thirsty they drink the sand." Wow. Those people are—they're trying so hard. They have the best intentions. They want to serve Jesus. They want their lives to count. But in those those anthropal churches, it's like, well, how do I serve Jesus? Volunteer? How do I serve Jesus? Tithe? Uh, how do I serve Jesus? Go on a missions trip? How do I serve Jesus? Share your friends? Did I say tithe? Make sure you tithe. And and so what happens is, you know, but they they they're trying their best and they're they're committed and they're passionate about it, but there's almost no reproduction happening. So then you look at the other part of the journey window. People leave oftentimes that directional church and they say, we're going to do micro churches, we're going to do missional communities. We want to we want to do something more meaningful. And they go over to what we call the house church, and that's discipling without any directional leadership. And the average house church lasts two years or less. And what happens is there are usually people who've left the anthill at the top left, and they come over down there. And Jesus tells a parable of the soils. Three of the soils produce zero, zero, zero. But one of the soils produce 30, 60, 100-fold. That's at the very upper. That's what we call the starfish leader. That's when you take directional leadership and disciple leadership and you merge them together. Give me a real practical uh, sort of working little sort of peek into directional leaders uh, like you said that's not a bad thing but but we need both and they need to be directional and discipling but give me a give me a peek into what are some of the common activities that a directional leader of a church is giving their time to uh sunday services uh staffing uh building uh, buildings i mean life new buildings the next campus the next camp, right? Better life. Lifeway said, said the last ten in the last ten years, our American churches have have raised three quarters of a trillion dollars for buildings, only to shrink by forty percent. So when directional leaders don't know what to do, they build a building. Yeah, they they, they add a campus, 
and and it's it's not because they need a campus. It's a it's oftentimes a desperate attempt to try and um, grow. If we build it, they will come. Okay, so fair enough. Uh, now maybe this goes without saying. A peek into a leader who's both directional. So I I, I do want to see things move and grow, but he's a discipling leader. What's that? leader focused on? What are some of the activities and things that that leader's concerned with day to day? I think that would be Jesus. And I think that, and I think that Jesus found apostles. So it'd be, it would be Peter, James, John, uh, the apostle Paul. Here are directional leaders, clearly. I mean, you, you saw the, the chaos that Peter and the directional leaders created. Directional leaders are a handful. They're not easy to lead. They're directional. Yeah. But Jesus trained them in, in the methods of how he did spiritual conversations, engaged them with the Holy Spirit, and taught them how to multiply without drawing them into the temple. What's interesting, though, what's so interesting, I'm trying to put a few dots together here in our conversation, is that focus on decentralizing everything, and it's go and make versus come and see, go. covenant versus anew. But the churches that sprung up weren't like, okay, so how do we how do we reproduce little temple experiences, right? Right. And at, exactly. at least they weren't for the first 300 years. Then Constantine came along and he says, hey, we're going to go ahead and get back to having a temple and a couple of high priests, and they're going to do all the work again, you know? So we're going to reproduce that. And we'll, we'll go ahead and decentralize that, wink, wink, sort of under one ultimate, you know, control. <laughs> well, and, 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 and I talk about this idea is that, you know, the Jesus gave us you know, this version one approach that, that was decentralized. You just did a great job. Constantine comes in and tries to centralize it, tries to, tries to you know, do elephant. He, he gave us this elephant DNA, and we've been struggling ever since Constantine instituted elephant DNA into the church. You and I, like it or not, we still have lots of elephant DNA built into us. I mean, we've both been West Coast guys in, in secular environments. And the nice thing about the West Coast is, they're they are like the jet stream. They're a little ahead of the jet stream. They're they're you know the rest of the country kind of gets it a few years later. Yeah. But but even though we still have this elephant DNA built into who we are, and and so if we can be and the people on the podcast listening can be like the Apostle Paul, be be missionaries into the culture, knowing we're probably never going to fully change from our elephant DNA. But if we can have the next generations that we keep starting be rabid DNA, then we have been used by the Holy Spirit in a transformative way to really launch the Church of Jesus and to help the American Church. I love what Jesus says in Revelation 1 through 3, the seven letters to seven churches. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains. He talks to two different churches about that. You've got something you're not completely... Say that one more time. You went past it so fast. Say that again. No, Jesus really says to these churches... That, that that Paul had started that had been second and third generations off of Paul's work there in, 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 in the Galatian area in that part of Asia, he said, you've got to wake up and strengthen. You have something still. This is this is a few years after. It, it just shows you how quickly when the elephant DNA is so prevalent, it, people do revert right back into that DNA. And culture. they were. It's just, and they did, and they did, and they got back into elephant DNA. And and so Paul did what he could. He did a great job, and they didn't have a but they didn't have a lot. But they had enough that Jesus has to come and talk to them, and give them a letter that says you got you've got something to work with. Wake up and strengthen what remains. And so I think that would be Jesus's message to the American church. 
And I think he even said, he says in every one of those churches, I think in all seven churches, he says, you've got to hear what the spirit's saying right now to the church. Yeah. He's speaking to the church. If you can hear what he's saying, apostles and leaders could actually be starting a transformative movement because it's not too late. You, you, it's not too far gone. Um, we're, we're not where Europe's at. Europe, the, the church in Europe just collapsed so, so severely that it is coming from a pre-Christian culture. We still have something left. What if leaders on this podcast, like you and I, heard the Spirit speaking to the church and saying, I really want to use what I have and the resources and my influence and to find discipable green shoots or discipable, you know, people who we could we could uh, help them connect into this, not to the institutional church, but to really become disciples of Jesus, multiplying Jesus and and do disciple making versus more of an institutional approach of, of just behavior modification, uh, but but actually to to start multiplying with this Gen Z generation and some of the millennials, we're seeing good traction with these discipleable young converts. Yes, and they're so hungry, and they're so not interested in in the institutional church. The Gen Z just aren't signing up for for what we would call church, but they love Jesus. That life we did a research, and I thought this was fascinating. Uh, this was for 45 and unders. For 45 and unders, nine out of 10 of them say, if you invite them to church, they they the conversation's over, no interest. But 6.5%, almost, you know, almost 7% of them, if you talk to them about doing disciple-making the way Jesus did, they would be interested in listening to you and hearing you out. Doesn't mean they're going to do it. But that's so refreshing to go from you know, 90% who don't want to even talk to you about going to church to almost 70% who would actually listen and listen to you about Jesus and about the discipling ways of Jesus. That's encouraging to me. Super encouraging. That's- you know, we we experienced that exact articulation, that exact same experience. Oh man. 10, 12, 15 years back when we were in and out of the uh, Eastern Bloc in Europe, like Czech Republic, Slovakia, and all these areas, they they uh, had, they were atheists to, like as a culture. And the, I think the church is like 0.05% or something like that of the culture. And many of these uh, friends of ours that we, we spent years building relationships with, literally, they had almost no God concept, Dan. Like, not uncommon, we'd hear, be like, well, what do you mean by God? What is that? Help me out there, you know? But they they never rejected us talking about that and our the importance of our faith and what faith actually was, because that, that was a whole concept that they, faith is, what is it? It's in hope and things unseen? What's that? You guys, you hear talking men in the sky? What? They were super into it. We could we could sit and drink beers with them and talk for days and days, and we would do these camps and spend weeks talking. And as long as we weren't trying to force something on them, like, well, unless you believe this, you know, you're going to burn in hell forever. You know, as long as we treated them with respect and like family, they never grew tired of talking about it. And the good news is good news. And so eventually, we'd we'd start to hear things like this: "Man, I really hope what you're saying is true. I would love it to be true." And you're like, oh man, God's got them, <laughs> you know. That's right. So That's I think exact- we're, I think because we're now far enough away from the uh, 
like you said, memory, church memory, Jesus memory, you know, religious memory, Christian, you know, all that stuff. We're now far enough away from it. That generation now is kind of like, hey, I'm looking so hard for where morality, I will have any, do, do we need any? Like, what is faith all about? I remember my grandmother maybe talk, I, I'll listen, you know, as long as there's respect and relationship of trust yes. being built, you know? Yes. People aren't going to make the credibility leap to follow Jesus. Like you're saying, and they're in the, in the European block there, uh, or culture there. And you were, you've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. You'd learn to talk about it and just talk about Jesus because you're very Jesus fluent, gospel fluent. And you learned how to do that. And they were drawn to the communities and the kind of life that you had. It was just, which, that shows the three things that the New Testament church had. And, and those are the three things that, that will, the church will always be built primarily on those three things. If we if we could take shortcuts in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, early 2000s, great. But those days are gone. We, our shortcuts, we can't find the shortcut path. I don't know, though, Dan, I'm going to push back on that again. I think the shortcuts back then were to an easy beliefism, a, a conversional prayer that was completely man-centered. It was about me and me feeling less guilty and me, I guess, not burning in hell forever because who wants that, you know? Right, right, yeah. I mean, when you look at Jesus, none of the things that, that that the American church called and used as metrics were what Jesus used as metrics, right? I mean, yeah. he, he didn't lead anyone in a sinner's prayer. He himself didn't have a record of anyone being baptized by him. I mean, his disciples obviously did that. And I mean, so the things that we think you have to have, Jesus didn't do them. But the things that Jesus did, we don't do. And I think that's the stark reality. That's that's the telling piece right there that we've got to pay attention to. Crazy, crazy. Well, I, and I, I think more and more people are, Dan, and um, uh, and praise God for your work and your writing. I mean, you care packaged me up here last week with a mountain of books. I'm like, man, this guy is busy. <laughs> and uh, and I, I really, I again, you know, I've been showing a little picture here. I don't, I don't always post, you know, a video of our podcast. That's not our norm. Though I think in, you know, coming up here, we're going to be doing more of it. So certainly this episode I plan to put up. So I've been showing little images and all as we've been going. And I'll put this in the show notes in the show as well. But I really do want to encourage people to check out uh, your books, but certainly Starfish Movement. I I just, I was pouring through it this morning and I couldn't read it fast enough. I felt like I was just spilling it all over myself. So uh, I'm going to take a little bit more time here in the weeks ahead. And I want to encourage others to do the same. I will have a link for that as well in the show notes for sure. So, hey, Dan, thank you so much. I could just keep talking to you all day. The last time we just got together for the heck of it to talk, it went for a couple hours, I think at least. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna pull us off here and just tell you thank you. And I look forward well, to the journey that God has for us ahead. Well, thank you so much. I, I say thank you for, for what you're doing and just what you've written. What you've written has meant so much to me. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I, small is big. I just love our leader to, to think through the process. So, Thank you. And and by the way, just it's genius, this concept of everyday disciple maker. I think you coined something that and, and that is so key because every because yeah, every day, everyday disciple. Because here's the <laughs> thing, I think that's the sleeping giant of the church. That if if, if if thank you for trying to awake the everyday disciple, because without that, the movement of Jesus is not gonna if if it if it requires formally trained institutional people. The gospel is 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 not going to progress in 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 the Western world. 
It's the everyday disciple. Thank you for what you do. We appreciate you. So Thank much, you, brother. brother. What a cool life we get to live, right? We do. And uh, we desire this for more and more people as, the, as they experience the good news of the kingdom. So thank you. Talk to you soon, I hope. All right? Blessings. Thank you. I sincerely hope that your wheels are turning and that you've enjoyed Dan's thoughts and analogies for the church as much as I have. I'll be chewing on this for a while and all these different pictures and handles that he's given us. Again, I'd like you to really consider checking out his book, Starfish Movement. I put a link in the show notes for you. Just head over to everydaydisciple.com forward slash 471. That's our website. That'll take you right to the show notes for this episode, everydaydisciple.com forward slash 471. I've also put the diagram that Dan mentioned a few times illustrating the directional leader versus the discipleship leader. It's super cool. Check that out, okay? And before you go, would you just stop for a second and subscribe to the podcast? I'd really appreciate that. That way you won't miss an episode. We've got so much coming. You're not going to want to miss that. Other platforms, you just like it or whatever. You know what you're doing with that. So please do that. All right, I got to wrap this up. We've already gone longer than usual, but totally worth it, okay? Please join us again next week, and we'll hopefully continue to help make discipleship and mission a whole lot easier for you. It's great doing this together. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.